0: You have to find donors who trust you, and that's one of the issues is that it is much easier to build a small set of stable donors who trust you to do the job right than to find a bunch of donors who don't. You're listening to Relish This, the Purpose Marketing Podcast. Here's your host, Stu Swineford. Hey,
1: everybody. My guest today is Greg Hodgen. He is the founder and executive director of Peacebuilding Solutions. That's a great organization that starts with research and what they do is they go into these areas and they really find out what the people need as opposed to going in with assumptions about what they need. So they develop solutions based upon real-world research. And one of the things that we talked about was how important it is as a nonprofit to really hone your story and really understand it and build relationships with people the core people who want to help, um, as opposed to trying to spread a huge wide net, you know, try and come back in and focus on those people that are really aligned with what you're doing. Um, he also mentioned that nonprofits should go after cash as much as possible and donors should really wrap their arms around the idea that, that they invest in nonprofits that they trust and to just give them the cash that they need to get their mission accomplished. Um, really fun episode. I hope you have a great time with it. I always enjoy talking with Greg. And here we go. Greg, how are you today?
0: I am doing very well. Thank you, Stu. I appreciate coming on with you.
1: Well, I'm really excited to have you on the show. We last spoke back in November of 2020. And uh, so it's going to be really fun to catch up and hear what's going on with with you and, and your team at Peacebuilding Solutions.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to tell you what's going on. So, fire, ask what you want, fire away, let's rock and roll.
1: Well, tell me a little bit, or tell our, our listeners a little bit about what you do over there at Peace Building Solutions, and and uh, how you how you guys are are kind of changing the way um, people engage with nonprofits and and nonprofits engage with their uh, stakeholders.
0: Okay. Uh. Yeah. That is that is basically a big part of what we do, but we're doing it with uh, the international humanitarian aid system, right? Um, one of the big issues that we have, uh, when we go into the field is that we see a lot of people who go out with the best of intentions and those intentions, your heart's in the right place, but you're not doing the best thing for the people that you're trying to help. And we're probably going to dive in that later on, but. Basically, what we do as a peacebuilding solutions is, is that we kind of reverse this paradigm, and we go in first and ask people what their needs are. Um, specifically, forcibly displaced people. So we're only working with people who have been uh, forcibly displaced by either wars, or natural disasters, or things like that. Okay. And we ask them what they want. Now, people go, "Oh, well, people do that all the time, right?" Well, yes and no. They might say, "We're gonna, uh, you know, we're gonna hand out X, Y, and Z. How many do you want?" That's not really asking people what they want. That's more saying, this is what we have. Here's what we're going to give you. What we do instead is we actually send a research team out into the field for several weeks to actually discuss with them what their needs are. So – and we're not just sending random people out there either. We're sending anthropologists, economists, political scientists, uh, public health people so that each of them is going to be able to get a different perspective on what their needs are. So you you might send them out there and – and the first day they tell you they need X, Y, and Z. After a week, they go, oh, we didn't know that we could trust you. So now we're going to tell you what's really needed and what's really going on. Right. And people, people kind of question that and go, well, why, why wouldn't they tell you what you needed? And the answer is, you don't know what these people have been through. You don't know what they've gone through. You don't know what they've seen or what they haven't seen or whatever else of that nature. And so they don't, for all you know, you're the fifth nonprofit or the fifth charity to walk up to them saying, we're going to do something. And then they don't do anything or, oh, we want to help you with X, Y, and Z. And they build a well instead of the school or a school instead of a clinic. Or they bring nurses instead of dentists. They, right. there's, a, there's a mismatch, a massive mismatch. And so we go out in the field. We ask them what they want. And then we go back. We raise money. We usually come back with cash. We try our best not to bring anything from Western countries in the United States. We try not to bring any materials. We try to buy everything locally if we can. So part of, the, um, uh, part of going out in the field is uh, figuring out what they want but also finding local vendors. Who can we right. buy from? Um, Talking to local government, what permits do we need if we want to open a school or things like that? How do we buy land? Things like that. And then we hand all of it over to them. So we actually have them do what they want to do. So we'll hire them, pay them fair wages that they negotiate themselves. And we, only thing we ask is that we build a, uh, uh, one shelter for us so that we can stay there full time. Right. That way the research is always continuing. And that's the basic part of it. But even better, we take all this stuff. We're actually working on publishing research papers right now. I, I think we're turning another research paper in the next two months or so in, in a peer review journal. And the idea is to show, hey, listen, this works. Then we go to the United Nations. I just sent a team to the commission, for the SAS of Women uh, about two months ago. We're sending people to UNICEF and the World Health Organization and UNHCR, the United Commission of Refugees. And we're going to pound them and say, look, this works better than what you're doing right now. Right. Not only does it work better, it's cheaper. Than what you're doing right now, and people go, "Well, why don't people do it this way?" And I think you and I had the conversation, and I and the concept is called path dependency. When people get locked into something for so long, they can't break themselves out of it, right? Um, and what you need to do that is you need a, lo- a large shocking a lot of data to show that this is the way to go. And we know it's going to take a long time, but that's basically what we're doing right now. We've got uh, now we've got fifty. We're hiring three more people, so fifty-three people. Um, most of them are not, not even Americans. Um, there's a part in our bylaws that flat out says that we try to prioritize hiring people who have been refugees or internally displaced persons. Okay. So that when they do come in, um, who better to tell us what we're doing right and wrong than people who have actually been through the system themselves. Right. Um, and uh, we actually work with the UN as well with the UN volunteers to kind of pull people from all over the world. So we're pulling people from, I think, the only continent we're missing right now is Australia. I think we okay. got someone from everywhere else. Um, and. The only thing, the only unfortunate thing is that because we have a virtual office, it's got to be Slack, which is fine, but that means that everyone at least has to have a decent working knowledge of English, and that does lock people out. But I can't do much more than that right now. Um, right. But as we get bigger, the hope is that we can actually begin having like language hubs um, where we can actually have a Spanish section, or French, or an Arabic, or things of that nature. So um, I rambled for a bit. I apologize. Uh, but that's kind of what we're doing right now. And that's where we're going. We're actually waiting on a large donation to come in so we can head down to Haiti, finish up our bit, first big pilot project, and expand to other places. So that's where we are right now, Stu. So, you know, same old shit.
1: <laughs> well, I love it. Uh, you know, it's it's really it's really interesting to me how you know, people with the best intentions just leap to making assumptions and, 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 you know, leaping to conclusions about what is really needed, as opposed to just having conversations with, with those that are, that are in need. And, and I, I love the idea. And and this is something you talked about in your TED talk, the idea of, of bringing cash to the table, as opposed to, to goods and a couple things that I think are are great there is cash is is infinitely um, malleable in terms of how it gets used, but it also creates the opportunity to 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 uh, put money back into that economy and get the economy yes. running, as opposed to bringing goods into the country that that essentially you know you have a shoe store. Um, and this is one of the examples that you used in your Ted Talk. you have a shoe store that you can go buy shoes from. So let's go put some money into the economy and buy the shoes as opposed to bringing shoes in. Well, Um, and that's
0: the, and that's the scary thing about it is, is that there's so many times that people are like, let's do a shoe drive. And I'm like, why? No one wants your old shoes. One, two, let's think about how much time and energy is going to take to collect all that stuff, dump it Mm -hmm. into a shipping container. Then I have to ship it. That's going to cost fuel and everything else. Mm -hmm. Then when I get there, I got to pay the customs fees or the excise fees, or whatever. Then I got to transport that to wherever it's going. Then I got to help them pick up. That's ridiculous. Like right. it's, it's amazing how we think, oh, well, we'll just send this somewhere else. Well, it usually ends up in a bin on fire. There's no yeah. point in that. But every dollar I spend there is stimulating their economy much more than the, – the, the dollar, US dollar in Haiti or in other places is going to stretch a lot more than it does here in the United States. Mm-hmm. And a lot of stuff that we're buying here, there's going to be at a cost as well. Even better, and this is the thing I think a lot of nonprofits forget about as well, labor costs are far cheaper. And there's the ad incentive of like, yes, I'm paying someone to go over there, but then I got to pay for their security and their food and everything else. I'm going to pay this guy a daily wage, a livable daily wage in their country, which again, some people are like, oh, $15 an hour. I'm like, $15 an hour is not going to work in that country because then you have doctors and lawyers quitting their jobs to take that job. Like that's – then. You've, and that's part of why you bring on academics as well, and academics who combine their academic knowledge with their field experience, because then you actually get to have people say, well, if you do X, think about the unintended consequences of Y, and this is mm-hmm. what's going on, right? So a, a, a great example that I, I love bringing up is the fact that one of the things that my team did when we first went down there was, let's talk to women alone without men around. And as a guy, of course, I don't think like that. And – but. The woman was talking to a female translator to the women, and of course, lo and behold, there was different data there. Right? There was right. different. There was different knowledge, and they were and they were all in the same boat. Like the men were saying, we need X, Y, and Z, and the women were saying this. They weren't trying to oppose each other; it was complementary. But the men didn't think about uh, um, shoes for the kids or school care. That's that's the, that's woman's work. Right. Um, but it was still necessary, and it was still something that we could do. And without talking to them, we would have only gotten part of the data. And the other thing I always love to tell people is just because someone walks up to you and says they're the leader, does not mean that they're the leader, right? (laughs) Right. Just someone walks up to you and they speak English and they say they're the leader. doesn't mean they are. Usually someone older in the back who um, is the one informally in charge. Like they're not the leader of the village. They're not the one that has the title. But everyone who's listening to this has probably been in an organization at some point where there's a CEO and there's someone who actually runs shit. Uh They're not the same person. And that's, and if you don't know the culture and if you don't know how that works, you can't really say which one's which, right? And that's where the research comes in because you might be there for a week and then you realize, oh, it's old granny, you know, weather wax up top there. Who's actually doing this. And it's not the person I'm talking to instead. This is the one who adjudicates his views. This is the one who knows who's married to who and whose kids are what, right? Right. And all these different pieces. I mean, you're right. I've seen so many occasions where sometimes we,
1: we, we these unintended consequences, uh, we're,
0: we're going to come in and do X, Y, and Z, and but it's also they screw the things the up worse, and then I come um, in, or my team comes in, they're looking at me going, be
1: multiple times, right? are yeah. you
0: like these guys? Yeah, so right. see so see the burden of proof want. is on um, us, um, and a lot of charities, a lot of people who do this kind of work, think that because they have the money and the resources, that they don't have to earn anything. You should be grateful. Beggars can't be choosers, right? That's garbage. They're still people, and they've been through stuff that you and I not even possibly possibly imagine. Um, and yet focus we walk in and like, going, we know what you need. And no, we don't. And not those why why would you possibly say something? Like that? Why would you think that you know better them. than anybody else? Right. And so I'm, I'm hoping that this, that this paradigm can actually catch on because I know that it happens more locally, but internationally, they're still stuck in the seventies and the eighties of like, you know, uh, oh God, live aid, you right. know, we're going to go and raise money and data and all that stuff. And that's, that paradigm has got to go and it's starting to shift, but we need to push it faster.
1: Well, you're not the first person I've Spoken with on the show here that has had this kind of idea that the people who are in place and are experiencing some of these challenges and probably have experienced some of these challenges before uh, might actually have a a pretty good idea of of what might work best. And I was speaking with um, a couple of gentlemen from uh, an organization called Students Shoulder to Shoulder, and they place students like in and among um, these communities to work, work with these people, um, you know, side by side and, and they're teaching each other how to, how to navigate, um, a lot of different, (laughs) a lot of different experiences and, and, you know, they're getting some great results just by, instead of going in with this kind of, you know, we know how to fix everything mentality, they, they're going in with, with, you know, we want to help you fix it and we want to help, help you, um, you know, take this the direction that, that it needs to go. Um, so it's, it's cool to hear this, you know, trend sort of starting to, starting to catch hold.
0: Well, the biggest issue is a lot of nonprofits want to do this stuff. There's a lot more people like us who are saying, Hey, let's do this. The issue, there's a lot of nonprofits still doing the bad stuff. Don't get me wrong. Or the not, not, not optimal stuff. Right. Issue isn't really the nonprofits. It's the donors. Um, it's, um, in fact, a lot of my dissertation that I did, uh, um, some time ago, that was very boring. Please, if you want to, you know, slowly fall asleep, go read, go read. Seriously. You'll be out in 20 pages. It'll be great. Um, very boring. But part of the thing is that I discuss why donors do what they do. And the answer is because donors want a quick, easy solution. They want to give their money and feel good. They did something right. So like if I give, I don't know, blankets for, poor children like well the the charity's called blankets for poor children well what do you think they do well i'm pretty sure they get blankets to poor children that's why they got the title there right Mm -hmm. cool well so i'm gonna if i if i give my money to blankets with poor children i know they're gonna get blankets to poor children now do the poor children need blankets well i don't really care but what i did was i know that that these poor children are gonna get blankets now the problem is if these poor children are in i don't know equatorial guinea they don't Mm -hmm. need a blanket Um, they need a lot of other stuff, but there's a very easy, if I give X, then the charity's going to do Y paradigm, right? Right. And it's a very, and and charities are designed, a lot of single issue charities or a lot of single, um, concept charities are designed this way. Like if I give a a water charity money, they're going to go and give people water. Like it's pretty simple, right? Right. Problem is, is that what if they don't need water? Right. Charity isn't designed to do anything else. And even worse, the charity has no incentive to do research. Why would I? if I'm only building water wells, either I'm building one or not, it doesn't really matter where I'm doing it. If I'm, if I'm being told I need to, I've got enough money to build a thousand wells. And I told my donors I'm building a thousand wells. Is there, does that really incentivize me building them in the right place? Just, does, does it incentivize me just dropping them where I can? And you already know the answer to that. Right. And, and it's, and part of ours, what we're trying to do is to re-educate donors and not just talk about like, you know, the people who give you five bucks a month, but also like the large donors, like governments and international organizations to be like, Let's not give money to these guys because if we're doing that, because I've seen in the field again, my dissertation very boring. Please put yourself to sleep. I would. I spent three months in Haiti doing research on uh, water wells and water systems that were built after the earthquake um, okay. in Leogane, which is actually where the epicenter was. Right. And so I was. It was all water charities, and seventy-five percent of the water wells that were built by charities six months after they left, they broke. Okay. Answers, well, the question, of course, my question was why? And it goes to donors, actually. The donors were like, we want you to build a thousand wells or whatever. So when I went to go talk to the people in question, I, actually, I didn't talk to the, 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 the cherries. I talked to people that they actually built the wells for. Right. Which most people don't do. You know, oh, you built the well, so Everyone's happy. No, they're not. They're pissed. Right. Why are you angry? What, what's wrong? Well, when they came in, they said they're going to build a well. They didn't ask us if we wanted a well. Um and they and they would bring in foreign workers. They dig the well, whatever. They didn't teach us how to fix it. They didn't teach us. They didn't give us any spare parts. They just built it, took a picture, and left. Right. And then the ones who did, they they, they did talk to. You. They said, "Hey, listen, we want to build you a well." And the villager, the people would say, "Well, we don't need a well. We need a we need a clinic. We need a school. We need vaccination. We need X, Y, or Z." Well, we're we only we only do waters. We only do water. That's all we do. So we can't do anything else. Well, can you give the money for the well to somebody else? No, that's illegal. Right. Which it is, right? Um, for them to do that, so we're going to build this well. Well, of course, by that point you're going to have broken wells because most of the wells were built because no one cared about them because there was no need for them. The a massive amount of waste because no one puts in the time and the energy to actually do this. And even worse, of course, so much of that money was spent in the United States to bring in the uh, to bring in the Western experts and to uh, bring in the equipment and everything else. Like they didn't even hire local people to dig a well. Right, All these things together, the donor gets what they wanted to, right? The donor gets to say, hey, listen, I gave money and now poor people in Haiti have water. Problem is the people in Haiti were like, I don't need water. I don't need it at all. So I don't care. And the well's broke. Did they ever come back? No, they did their job. Right. And that's the issue. These one-offs the, and, and donors especially want to kind of go, but look, I'm doing something good. But is that really the best long-term impact of your money? Is that right. really the best way to spend your cash? Because sure, you can give them water all day. You know, the whole teach a man to fish, you know, uh, oh, if you give a man a fish, he eats for a day. If you teach a man a fish, he lives for a lifetime. No, he doesn't. If he doesn't have a fishing pole, right? <laughs> or if right. he lives inland and there's no ocean, of course not. Like, let's match up skill sets, expertises, and knowledge, and most importantly, the resources with what the community has and what they want. Like, if you can fish and you're next to the ocean, Cool. Then we'll give you that. Do you actually want to do that or do you want to move into something else? Or, right. you know, there's there's plenty of ways to go around doing this, but a lot of nonprofits are set up to just get that easy money of, well, if they write me a check, I'll build a thousand wells. Well, I don't care if they need the wells or not. Like the system is designed kind of to screw people, just uh, to screw over the very people you're trying to help. And that's what's, I've always found so frustrating. And that's why I kind of do what I do now.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. And it, it sounds like it's almost a, it needs to come from the donor mentality shift. And do you have any ideas or or thoughts around how to get people to wrap their arms around? This isn't the first time this has come up on the show either, where uh, I spoke with a woman who runs a a charity who collects or, or gets gifts for kids during the holidays who normally aren't able to do that. Right. And um, one of the things that she talked about was how much farther a $10 donation goes than a ten dollar you know gift um but yeah pe- but but donors really love to go to go to their local um you know store and and pick out a gift uh whether that's a ball or a toy or whatever and bring it to a collection center and and give that gift there's this tangible tactile. Um, thing that, that goes on in our brains yeah, yeah and yeah, they're
0: getting something physical. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But, but she had, um, you know, uh, agreements and partnerships with those same stores that she could go in and buy things at wholesale. So right. she could stretch a $10 donation to buy two $10 gifts or whatever the, you know, whatever the ratio was, but certainly she could get more, uh, bang out of that, out of that monetary donation than, um, you know then the physical item donation but it it's this shift that needs to happen Do you, have you done any research on on oh, yeah. how to get people to to uh, frame that for their donors
0: okay so yes but they're not going to like what i have to say um, <laughs> Um, so part of, um, part of the research I've done from a political science standpoint is how do you change international norms and donors, especially this is an international norm. Like why do people give, why do people do these things? Mm-hmm. And they want to the feel good fuzzy. Right. Mm-hmm. And to, to go back to your to the example, you said with toys, um, one of the things that your, your friend could do would be here's a list of stuff that they want buy that and give that yeah. to me. Yes. Um, and we'll update that. Sure. You can do that, but let's be honest. Every charity, if there's one thing every charity wants more than anything else, it is always going to be cash. Right. The problem is, is that a lot of people go, but if I give them cash, they might spend it on you know salaries or food for themselves or other selfish things. And, I'm, and part of this is going to be breaking that paradigm of like, not all charities are here to steal from you. I understand that a lot of charities have done some bad things. I know that a lot of charities have, are just bilking people out of money. I get that. So do businesses. Right. Your point? Like, you know, it's, 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 yes, we do need to spend money on overhead. Like it's, what was the, what was the, what was the thing I used to say? Oh, let's say I want to make an app. We'll call it, I don't know, Tinder, um, where people, <laughs> where people hook up, right? I will get people throw billions of dollars at me to make this thing happen. Even if it fails completely, they're like, oh, well, that's a, that's an amazing idea. Da, da. I want to fix the international humanitarian aid system and save hundreds of thousands, if not millions of lives. Well, why don't you get a job while you're doing your job? Right. You know, like, why don't you, you know, I don't want to pay for you. I want my money to go to those people. Well, I can't do my job unless I have overhead. Well, we, I don't, why would you want to get paid? Like, you know, you know, $90,000. I mean, what have you done? I don't know. I've been doing this for 12 years and I got a PhD. Yeah, but you can do it on 30, right? Like, right. how ridiculous is that? Like when you go to, um, you know, you go to the, um, um, the Apple store and you buy an iPad or you buy an iPhone, or whatever, you don't say I only want you to spend 2% on overhead, they'd right. you out of the store. The issue is trust. You have to find donors who trust you. And that's one of the issues is that it is much easier to build a small set of stable donors who trust you to do the job right than to find a bunch of donors who don't. And people don't want to hear that. They want to hear, but I want people to give me a ton of money. You're not going to do that. It's going to each one of them is going to be a personal relationship. Honestly, one of the things I'm looking at right now is what I call the sugar daddy approach, which is find someone who's got a lot of money. Earn their trust. Show them why you're doing what you're doing is, is, works correctly and work with that. When it comes to the overall donor market, right? And this is where it gets really fun because let's be honest. There's a lot of foundations out there who would want to give you money, right? But they make you jump through so many hoops because they want to make sure the money's spent effectively, blah, 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 blah. Right. Okay, fine. Sure. What we need to do is we need to talk to them and say, look, going through all this crap is a mess. And that's one of the reasons why we're doing the research papers, why we're trying to present research publications, why we keep going to the UN. Because when you talk to the United Nations, it gets published, it gets goes on webcasts, it goes on things like that. They can they can pressure not only their the member states, so like you know Germany and the EU and the US. So those governments are starting to change their donor guidelines. Private donors and foundations look at this too and go, well, wait a minute, the UN's doing X, Y, and Z, right? Why are we doing this? And there's a, there's, a, um, uh, there's a concept in political science called constructivism. It's an, it's an international relations concept, which is norms matter. Um, our world is based around specific norms. Good example. Two centuries ago. Um, is that about right? Yeah, about two centuries ago. Hey, slavery, that's fine. Um, it's okay. Now slavery is completely horrible. What changed? The norm, the idea that has been embedded in our international system has mm-hmm. changed. A century ago, colonialism and imperialism, that's great. Like, you know, nineteen fifteen or so or whatever, uh nineteen twenties or so, we're still doing colonialism everywhere, we're still doing imperialism everywhere. Now it's like, oh that's really bad. We need to decolonize decolonize our, our minds, decolonize the marketplace. What changed? And the answer is is that this norm over time evolved and it changes something else. People ask, how do you change it? And uh, the answer usually is, is think about like seismology. Right. Um, from a political science standpoint, we know that, th- that this country X is going to go through shit soon. We know what's going to happen. We know where the fault lines are. We don't know exactly when it's going to happen, but we can give you odds. And once it does happen, we're going to tell you what's going to what's, – what the reverberations of that are. Like mm-hmm. when we talk about the Arab Spring, um, you know, no, no one knew that some random guy setting himself on fire in the streets of Tunis is going to light up everything. But once, we, once that exogenous shock happened, once that thing happened, it was clear to see how the dominoes were going to fall. And we could set, see where it was going. Same concept with these norms. The problem is, and this is where it gets, uh, becomes a huge pain in the ass for everybody. You don't know when the norm becomes internalized. You got to keep pushing. And you're pushing up a hill over and over and over again. It's, it's very much Sisyphus. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, and the boulder keeps falling down. But then you get a donor who believes in what you're doing. And you're like, okay. And then other ones believe in it. And then you do the thing. And then more people see what you're doing. And they buy into it as well. And that's how you get the critical mass you need to get the norm to go over the hill. We don't know what it's going to be. And that's why I, I'm doing this right now. I talk to as many people as I can and I present this as often as I can because this is not a 30-second concept. Right, And that's what a lot of people, they're like, well, give me a 30-second elevator speech. If, <laughs> if you want the 30-second elevator speech, I don't want your money because I can't do this in 30 seconds. I'm trying to fix a much larger problem than just refugees. I'm trying to fix a huge system. That's why I do stuff like this because- The more you talk about it, the more that you have the conversation, and the more you show the data that says, look, doesn't this make more sense? Because let's be honest. How many random people that you know, be they rich or otherwise, you talk to them and they go, oh, I didn't know that charities ran like that. I didn't know that that, that's what happened with donors. I didn't know X, Y, and Z. Like They don't know this stuff. Right. And so we have to have these conversations. We have to keep breaking this stuff down over and over and over and over again. I mean, I can't tell you the number of times I've given this speech. In case you haven't noticed, it sounds really polished. I swear to God, ladies and gentlemen, and everybody who's listening to this right now, there's no notes in front of me. This is all from my head because I've done this several hundred times. Uh, Right. And that's okay. That's okay. But the thing is, again, if you look at the norm being generated and you're looking at the norm trying to be internalized, it ain't there yet, which means I got to have this conversation over and over and over again. The less the more I can get people to listen to this and the less I have to do it, great. But they still have to think about it, chew on it, and internalize it. You don't change minds by just yelling at people saying you're wrong. Here's the data. Make your own choice. You're an adult
1: Yeah, it's um I mean it's fascinating stuff. And I, I really like the idea of of leading with someone like the UN and getting you know getting some of these large entities to wrap their arms around this idea and 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 you know essentially change the way that they're doing business in order to, to inspire, um, you know, everybody else to, to take similar, make similar adjustments to the way that they're handling, um, you know, the decisions that they're making and and how they're getting there.
0: Yes and no. Yes and no. I I would say we, we, you know, inspire people that's cool and everything, but inspiration doesn't really move minds. What moves Mm -hmm. minds is, is this the better way to do it? Will I save money? In the long run, if I donate to them as opposed to the Red Cross or somebody else like that, right? The inspiration right. is good, but I don't want – inspiration is transitory, right? Yes, I want you to be inspired. And, oh, that's wonderful, but let's be honest. How many people have been inspired to write a damn screenplay or a novel? And let's be honest, do they finish the thing? I want sure. the work too, right? right? The inspiration is the start, and the work is now I need you to put your money where your mouth is. And that's where people fall short. And I'm not just talking about like the $5 donors. It's not the big donors too, right? But right. the thing is, is that if you get enough of them to kind of sign on board, like, wait a minute, we're thinking about this. Um, a good example um, of the last decade or so, because um, you do nonprofit work, so you might have seen this. The Ford Foundation, other larger foundations are kind of going, overhead isn't this big, the big shibboleth that we thought it was. Um, it's okay to have a 10, 15% overhead. Like you don't have to be like 2% overhead. We're seeing now that organizations that – that have really small overhead can't get the job done because they can't right. buy the software they need or the hardware so it's okay to include more overhead so now the un is saying and the ford foundation and kellogg and these other big guns are saying and rockefeller are saying 15 is okay that's huge right 15 percent's not there don't get me wrong like we got a ways to go but that's amazing that's so these norms can change but it's going to take a lot it's going to take a lot of people pushing all the same time about similar stuff. And yeah, I do want the inspiration. I do want people to get excited, but then do the work, right? If you're going to say it, talk to other people, show them the data, because it, it is, even from a donor's perspective, I want my money to go the longest, right? And what I always tell any donor who talks to me is they're like, why would I give you $50,000 for research? I say, cool, you give me $50,000 for research and I'll save you $500,000 when I actually buy the stuff that I need and I am not buying garbage. Right. I buy what's actually needed. By investing now, you save in the long run. And the other thing I usually say is, especially to um, business people or anyone in the corporate world, I'm like, "Would you ever put out a product without market research?" They're like, "No, who's oh, that's crazy." I'm like, "Well, then why does every nonprofit do it?" Right. And they go, "Oh, like well, <laughs> God, it's crazy." And you realize then that they go, "You know, that's that's their light bulb moment, right? Of like, oh, that's that's I never thought about it like that. I just thought people needed X. Well, did you know that? Sure, people do need X. What's the best way to give it to them?" You'll know until you do the research, and right. so it is. It's a multi pronged, multi tiered approach because you got to do the work. Because a lot of a lot of nonprofits do the ground up work, right? They do the, the grassroots work, but they don't really inter, They don't really talk to larger donors or anything like that. They're not trying to change the system. They're just trying to do their thing, right? And that's right. fine. The other ones are just doing top down. There are plenty of think tanks who publish plenty of papers, like. All the stuff that we're doing right now has been in, our, in, in political science literature, anthropological literature, like all the social science literature. This has been known for 30 years. No one does it. No one applies it because the think tank writes it and the NGO goes, yeah, that's fine. We'll do it our own way because the donors are telling us to do it this way, right? Right. So how about you combine them both? How about you have a bottom-up approach and a top-down approach? Top-down, we will talk to the UN about what's going on and what's happening, why the system's broken. Bottom-up. And now we're collecting the data to show you. And when you do it that way, well, where are the holes, man?
1: Right. Yeah, it's uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's, (laughs) it's it's, get your brain just going on how to, how to tackle the, the challenge. And, you know, you mentioned having, you know, a few, it's easier to have a few big donors really trust you than to, than to try and convince a whole bunch of people, a whole bunch of smaller donors necessarily to to do the same. What are you doing over at, at peace building solutions in terms of, of getting those big donations coming in the door? Is it just telling the story over and over again, or do you have some telling other the
0: story? It is networking. It is doing zoom calls. I try to donate two hours a week to just talk to people. They usually ask me what I'm doing. I talk to you. I'm here right now. This is part of it because maybe someone's going to hear me what's going on. Like it is, it is basic flat out, um, uh, shoe leather, Networking, get it, just get it done. Um, I don't, I never do blind calls. I don't do that. Um, blind calls, how to put this succinctly? Blind calls are 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 the antichrist. They are <laughs> one of the worst things I can possibly think of because I get them all the time. Like, hey, do you need laundry? You know, do you need a uh, cleaning services for your office? One, I don't have an office. Two, right. no. Let me come to you, right? Right. But that's the thing. If you have a warm call, if you have someone who does want to talk to you about it, I'll give you six hours. I don't give right. a damn. It's fine right. with me finding those people and sitting down with them and having the conversation. And even better, some of them might say, look, I don't have, I don't, I, I don't have any money, but I do know someone who does, or I might know right. someone who might have whatever. It's all about, it's all about that. And you're going to talk to a hundred people, 200 people, 500 people, and you might get lucky and find the one that wants to do this. Like I got one, somebody who's like, Hey, listen, I run, um, retirement accounts. And a lot of people, um, basically they're, they're, um, when they donate from their, uh, 401ks or whatever I don't know I'm not gonna retire I'm gonna drop dead in the field um, <laughs> they, like um you know they when they donate um they the the retirement company will match I'm like cool well, how much on they're like oh you know twenty thousand dollars here fifty thousand dollars there. I'm like well, sign me up like cool right. that's fine some people don't care some people are like I just want this to go to charity and that's fine too like there's several ways to kind of go about doing it but I don't want someone who's just gonna because I and I will say this too and this is something that a lot, a lot of charities, especially smaller ones, freak out about. If you don't say no, how can you say yes? If you do not, you do not protect, zealously protect your mission and your mandate and what you're right. doing, right, someone will take it from you and change it to something else that you will not like. We had someone come to us and basically were like, well, I'll give you all the money that you need for your Haiti project. It was almost a million dollars. And I was like, "Okay, hey, what do you want? She's like, I want to come with you and I want to do the work. I'm like, you're an accountant. Yep. No. I said no. And I tell people that and they're like, are you insane? I'm like, well, no, that literally defeats the purpose of what we're doing. Why would I bring an untrained person somewhere where she could wreck everything that we built, the trust that we built, because she wants to have a nice little trip? Right. No, that's, that's it's voluntourism, you know? So I had to say no. Now, I will say this. My staff was like, ironically enough, my staff was like, yeah, you go, man, do that. Tell, tell her to piss off because <laughs> we don't want the donors who are going to try to got, you know, Well, we know better than you. Oh yeah. How many PhDs do you have? Cause I've got like seven in my, in my, in my stable right now. And right. they've been studying this stuff for decades. Like when you put it all together, we've got like, I think 75 years of experience together. We're not saying that we're, that we're right all the time, but we're saying we're probably less wrong than you are. <laughs> and that's okay. Um, a lot of people want to have, you know, take the money and, and, um, and run and do whatever they want to. They don't realize that. Okay. So now that I've got the money, I need to get more money. But this person has all these strings attached. Now I'm going to have to go ahead and battle what they want to. And then all of a sudden, now you're handing out, I don't know, um, machetes to children um, in, in, um, in Atlanta because now that's what they want to do because they have the money. Mm-hmm. It's a partnership. And too many people think that because someone's cutting you a check means that they own you, which, by the way, that's capitalistic bullshit. Secondly, here's the other thing. If they want to cut you a check, they're cutting you a check because they're getting something out of it. That money they're handing you, is less important than the thing they're getting out of it, by definition. Right. So, if you're changing the system and you're changing the world, and they're handing you a check. They should trust you. If they don't, then why do you want their money in the first place? Because here's the thing: if they're handing you that money, let's say that you get a multimillionaire or billionaire, or I don't know, uh, Bill Gates is trying to pay a bunch of people off right now. So we'll say him. He's trying <laughs> to get a bunch of money out right now. He's trying to get a bunch of money out right now, or whatever, and. He's like, hey, listen, I want to give you a million dollars. Most nonprofit people are going to kind of go, well, why do you want to give us a million dollars? Like what makes it so important? The answer is it's like dating. Why is this person dating me? You know what? They're here. Shut up. Take the money. Look at the conditions they're giving you. If they're just giving you money for nothing. Shut up. Take the money. Right. It's okay. You don't have to worry about that. And here's the thing. In that person's mind, they're going, I'm taking this money that I earned and I'm doing something good in the world. And this person's going to do it because I can't do it myself. I'm getting a service from this. Think about it like that and it's a lot easier mm-hmm. to do it. But a lot of people don't want to think like that. They kind of freak out about it, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, there's always a value exchange and whether that yeah. value is is you know a, a monetary exchange for uh, a, f- a warm, fuzzy feel-good or um, or like you said, volunteerism, um, you know, just knowing, knowing where the, where the power balances lie, I think is, is a, a pretty great lesson for, for people well, to then, keep in mind.
0: <laughs> yeah. Cause it's not a power imbalance because the thing is, is that they want to give money to you for a reason because you're doing something they believe in. That's why they want to cut you the check in the first place. That means that you have power. Mm-hmm. And there's too many people who are kind of like, well, they get, they cut us the check. You can tell them not to cut the check. Well, then we might have to cut salaries. Duh. Then you cut salaries. Right? Like, it's it sucks. Do not get me wrong. I don't. I don't want to tell people. Listen, this is a we're doing this for X, y, Z. I want, and that's one of the things we push for too from donors, like especially large donors. I I don't want a year contract. I want a five year contract. That way I right. can plan a bit further. I don't want to do one year at a time. We want to check if we're doing the right thing. Piss off. The plan takes five years. Right. Like I can't. What do you want to pull out in year two? God, you know, what are you a twenty year old bachelor? Right. Um, so it. But the thing is, is that when they do approach you, look at the conditions, see if you can match up with it. If, if you, if you can go for it, of course, again, the less the strings, the better, certainly, but there's, it's not an imbalance just because someone cuts you a check doesn't mean they own you, right? It means they believe in you, right? Now they might ask for things, but learn where your negotiation limits are. And if, if it's too much, then say no. And too many nonprofits, and I've seen too many of them go, go, you know, burn themselves out because someone cut them a $5 million check. They did what they thought was best with that $5 million check. And it wasn't what their mandate was. It wasn't what the senior staff or anyone wanted to do. They did it anyways. And now they're stuck mm-hmm. doing that. Right. You know, now you get hosed because now once you got the money, you can't just go back. Right. Right. Once you pick your first set of good donors, you're really good donors. You're good to go. I'm, I'm, um, I'm talking to a guy right now. i do not want to go too much into it because he's a really private guy. Okay. Um, he, um, runs a, he ran a marketing firm for a while. He's like, I love what you're doing. Let me find you some money. So he's looking to find this half million dollars or a million dollars. I don't know. I, I know I, I got an idea of where it's coming from. I don't, I'm not trying to ask too many questions about like, you know, sure what he's doing on a Tuesday, but I'm like, well, why are you doing this? And he's like, um, look, I'm retired and I've got nothing else to do. And people keep handing me hundreds of millions of dollars to like, to like for trust funds. Right. And he's like, and they make interest every year. So I can just give you that.
1: Huh. That's awesome. And I'm, like,
0: I'm like, okay, um, Cool. And I kept wanting to ask him, but why us? And then I was like, how about you, you know, shut up and take the money because he doesn't want anything else. (laughs) Right. And it took me a while to kind of really wrap my head around that. Like he just, you know, he just loves me for me. Like it's, um, you know, and it's, and it's, it's such a a stupid rom-com idea, but it's true. They want to work with you because you're you, because of your mission, because your mandate and because of whatever your leadership is. Let's be honest. If they meet your, if they meet your leadership and they hate you, well, they're not going to work with you anyways, probably. Right. You know, it's just that simple. So it's, and it's, it's frustrating because, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I'll give you, f- you know, $5,000 if I want to see on your board so I can basically change everything. No, right. I don't want that. No. Right. No. And I think the power of no is a very important thing. And I think learning to say no, because here's the other thing. When you say no, cool. But when you say yes, that person's earned it. Right. And that's so key.
1: Well, we, we talk a lot about it with our for-profit clients in in particular, but I, I really do appreciate how this does apply to the nonprofit world as well, is every time you say yes to the wrong thing, that, that takes away from your ability to do, to do the right thing. That's right. Um, you know, you have a finite amount of time and, and resources. And, and if you're constantly chasing money around doing, you know, the wrong things, um, and wrong being, you know, however you want to define that, um, you know, the things that are not aligned with your mission, it, that's time that takes you away from, from that mission, whether you're a for-profit business or, or a nonprofit business.
0: Yeah. Well, it's time and resources too, because mm-hmm. someone's working on that application. Someone's working on moving that money around. That's, that's it's X amount of man hours or, or staffing hours that your finance department is working stuff around or whatever, or development spending on the phone doing golly knows what, like you're burning resources you don't need to burn. Yeah. And and the one well, thing about this as well is that people are like, oh, nonprofits are corporations. Oh, really? Is that why we're incorporated? Like, is that why we actually have to fill out incorporation paperwork and file with the IRS, you know, where you file with corporations as well? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, the only difference is I don't have shareholders. Right. That's it. Um, everything else is run the same. Now, I don't have to. I, I can have a paper board. I can have a real board or whatever, but they don't get paid um this. You know, I don't make any money, but I sorry, we don't. The organization doesn't make a profit that doesn't mean we can't sell things to make a profit that gets dumped back exactly. to charity like yep. we're still a business yeah. it's just you know and one of the issues is that a lot of people don't understand this uh, uh corporations have one one boss and that's the consumer we have two bosses which is the donor or donors and also the communities we're trying to serve right and how to balance that, um, uh, a guy by the name of Robert Putnam wrote a great article about this, about like the, the logic of two-level games, which is like heads of state. Like, um, So if you're the president of the United States and you're signing an international deal, you might, um, but you sit at two tables. You're sitting right. at the international table and the domestic table. So if I sign a, a, a cool trade treaty, I might be winning internationally, but I'm losing domestically. Or I'm losing domestically and I'm winning internationally. <clears throat> and that's what you get with this. Sometimes you... If you do this right, and that's the problem, a lot of NGOs will take the the community hit to get the money. Right. Thing is, you should be taking the money hit to help the community. In a perfect world, you do both, but sometimes you've got to tell someone who's got a bunch of money no so that you can protect the communities you're trying to serve. And a lot of people can't wrap their heads around that.
1: Right. Well, it's it's, you know, it's certainly challenging and I and this happens in for-profit and nonprofit businesses all the time, where, where, you know, you see that paycheck and you and you just go chase it without really thinking about what kind of cultural shift might occur based upon taking that taking that donation.
0: Yeah. Um. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. It's. It's. And it's one of the biggest issues I think I see from my perspective. Run this thing is. My God, there's so much stuff to fix. Right. Um, there's there's a broken system that hands out money to the wrong people that goes that goes and, and hurts people in the long run, and it doesn't even address. I mean, I could talk for six hours and I wouldn't even be able to scratch the surface. And I think one of the biggest things, as well, is you know how do you prioritize where you're going, and what you want to do. And for me, the answer usually is wake up, clear clear your deck for the day, whatever you need to get done, done. Make sure that your tactics serve your strategy, right. What you're doing today should be serving you six months from now, but you should know where you want to be six months from now Yep. or a year. I would also challenge people to think about where they want to be 20 years from now or 50 years from now. Or, um, what was the joke? What was, I I don't want to say it's a joke, but, um, there's so many nonprofits, especially young, smaller ones that don't have a hit by the bus plan. Right. And the idea behind the hit by the bus is what if your CEO gets hit by a bus? Right. What happens? Oh, there goes the second command. Cool. They're both walking together, you know, singing "Springtime for Hitler" or whatever it is, and they both get hit by the bus. Now what? And most NGOs and most charities go, "Uh, well, we're kind of well, you're screwed." Yeah, Well, that's bad leadership. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if two people are carrying your charity, that's bad leadership. Well, I can't hire anybody else. Well, you might not be able to pay them, but you can certainly pull somebody on board, or you can make sure that other people have access to the information they need, or you can at least leave a strategic plan and make sure that other people you have leadership brewing. The goal: of leadership is produce more leaders. And if I get hit by truck, I mean, to this day, my my second command and I, we swap um, flash drives every week with all the new passwords and everything that needs to be done, including last orders and things like that. And then we ha- and then we both hand those to um, our department heads. So if something if something hits. Almost all of us, it's almost like, um, uh, you know, the, the presidential succession act, right? If something happens to almost all of us, even the person from finance can pick it up and keep it together until they can, until they can get back on their feet. And if, and if you are so important to your charity, that if you die, the charity folds, that's a shitty leader. And it's a lot of people don't want to wrap their hands, but, but it's my idea and so on and so forth. If it's your idea, why do you need anybody else? Right. Why do you have a staff in the first place? They know stuff that you don't know. Um, so yeah, it's, I, I'm rambling a bit. I, I apologize, but. Um,
1: no, it's a big problem. I mean, when, when executive directors leave, which you would hope at some point, everybody's going to, everybody's going to retire or, 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 get hit by a bus, I suppose. Um, right. You know, there, both. What's, what's the plan? Yeah. And, and, right. there and it's, and it, a lot of times it's really difficult um, when making that transition from that founder, um, ED, um, who is exiting to figure out who's who's going to run the ship now?
0: Right, and that's the thing. If you don't have a clear plan of succession or something like that, or if you what we did is we don't have a clear plan of succession for the directors. What we did do is we said, listen, if we both die, HR um, has already has the job description ready. They're going to post. They're going to look for interim uh, interim ED. This is the person who is going to be interim ED for right now. But you all vote. Um, you all do the interviews and you pick your your new ED, whoever that is. Mm-hmm. And then that ED will pick their second in command. Congratulations. You've rebuilt the entire thing, even though your ED and your old CO just got hit by a bus. Right. It might take a few months, but nothing fell apart. Everything's still run the way it is. I've um because I'm a political scientist, I love organizational shit. So I I kind of we set up our organization very federal. Look, yeah, those are federal government. Yes, but each of the departments are basically states in themselves. They do whatever they want, however they want to. As long as you're meeting strategic goals, I don't care. Right. And I think that's something else too when it comes to leadership and it comes to how nonprofits run. Most nonprofits are volunteer labor, right? You do have some paid staff, but most of you, most people are have volunteers. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say something very revolutionary and shocking. So please, you know, hold your hold. You know, just hold on. You've probably never heard this before. If you treat people like shit, they're not going to come back.
1: <laughs> yep.
0: And you laugh, but I've seen so many nonprofits who are like, I need a doctor's note. For what, a volunteer? Are you serious right now? Right. Um, you know, like, uh, well, you know, we go nine to five. Why? Why do you go nine to five? What's the point? Um, there's no need for that. We work on Slack. i got people in different time zones. I don't give a damn what you're doing. Right. As long as you get your job done, that's what matters to me. Right. You need to take time off. Cool. We just had someone who uh, <laughs> she just had a baby. Uh, she's uh, one of our researchers. She's got her PhD in economics. Um, she just had a kid and I, uh, myself and my COO and actually turns out I didn't even know this, but my director of research as well wrote her like a congratulatory note. Um, and we mailed it to her. She wrote back to us and gave us a baby pacifier that doubles as a, um, doubles, doubles as a ball over. I'm like, Oh, so we're all alcoholics. Cool. I'm down for that. <laughs> um, but she's like, thank you so much. I feel like this is my family. And, when I hear family from a corporation, it always scares me if yeah. it's coming from the leadership. But this wasn't coming from leadership. Right. And I'm like, see, this is the kind of family concept I can get behind because I'm not – because it's not like you're, you know, the mafia. Oh, uh, you're, you're in the family now, so, you know, get rid of this body. It's much more like she feels welcome here and she wants to stay here for as long as she can. And if you invest in people who want to stay, they stay. If you treat them like human beings, they stay. I can't tell you the number of people who still do this 1950s, 1960s garbage management of like, you need to be on the computer between X and Y. You need to take X number of calls. If you're in a 21st century industry that's highly creative, like what we're doing, you cannot run people like that. You just can't. And if you do, they will run away. Yeah. Yeah. I can't tell you. the uh, Our our, um, turnover last year was 10%. That's awesome. Ah, we know it was amazing. I kind of like HR is actually writing it and I love them for this. HR is going to be writing a paper about this for the Harvard business review. That's really great because they're like, look, why, why did, why did, why do so many people have so much, you know, so much turnover? I'm like, cause I treat them like shit. Like it's just, cause if you, if I can't give you a paycheck, then I, I, I need other ways to hold you on. But here's the other thing. Even if I can pay you well, that does not give me an excuse to treat you like garbage.
1: Right. Well, so many volunteer positions are also, um, you know, and and interns as well, like unpaid internships is, is one of these things that I think needs to be revisited. Um, but they get the worst possible jobs. It's like you're volunteering for an organization and they're having you take out the trash and, um, you know, they're making up dumb things for, for you to do, as opposed to giving you an actual job description and having, something that's task-based that you are in charge of. And and if you can do that as an organization and, and put that kind of structure in place where, where, you know, you, the, the person has accountability and goals and, and it's run like a real position, um, you know, they're going to learn a lot more. They're going to produce a lot more effectively and they're going to stick around either as a, a repeat volunteer or you, know, you might have an opportunity to bring them on as, as part of the staff or they're going to turn into a donor or at least they're going to go champion your organization out there.
0: Exactly. We've got two interns right now. They're both, they're both getting their MPHs. So they're both in school. Um, one of them is working on the blog for our website next month. She's going to do the whole thing from scratch. She's very excited. The other one is getting us access to UNICEF and the world health organization. Cause she, I, cause I sat her down. I was like, okay, what do you want to do? She's like, wait, what? I'm like, yeah, what do you want to do? So like, well, I'm really into institutions and data. Cool. I need access to the following thing. Can you do that? she was like, yeah. So she's doing that literally right now. When you put them in charge of because the, they're in their early 20s. That doesn't make them children. Right. Like, and this isn't go fill the coffee machine or go make coffee. This is like, this is serious shit. Like, this yep. is something that that's important that, that I, and I need it done. And now with that being said, like, if they totally drop the ball, I'm going to be like, okay, well, what's, what happened here? Um but I'm not gonna go, how dare you, you've ruined everything. I'm gonna go, all right, what, what mistakes did you make? How can we learn from this? What do we do next time? Like right. let's make an Failure isn't failure unless you make it failure. Failure is a learning experience.
1: Yeah.
0: And when it comes to these two interns, especially, like, um uh, my second command was our director of research. She actually bought an intern, um God, six, seven, eight years ago. And she was she helped to set up a um, meeting with the Norwegian police while we were in Haiti. It was the Norwegian police contingent of the of the UN mission there. Mm-hmm. And four years later, she's head of research. Like, you know, that's she never left. She, the only reason she left is because she's like, I can't do the volunteer position anymore. If there's money coming in, that's fine. She's starting her own psychiatric practice. She's helping right. us set up like a saturated, like, that's a success story. She, she left not because she'd to, because she had to, right? Which, which sucks, but it is what it is, right? You treat people well, they do that. I cannot stand those internships. The in fact, I'm, what I'd love to happen is if I can find the money, I want to pay my uh, my interns 50K a year right? because it's a job. Yeah. And it's a job that you should be doing that isn't just get coffee. If there's one thing I can't stand, it's one, do you want someone to get coffee? I just kind of look at them and go, are you implying my legs are broken? Like, <laughs> right. I can take care of myself. I don't need you to pamper me. Let's just get to business. And I understand some people like that, but the in, that's not the intern's job. The intern's job is there to learn, not how to make coffee.
1: Right. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's really interesting how organizations of, of any type, um, you know, feel that they need to do these things, but then they don't take the time to figure out how to do them in a way that's going to benefit both the organization and the person who's, um, who's, you know, donating their time to that, to that organization.
0: Well, it, well, you know, I, I tell my HR department the same thing. I might like, listen, someone's doing time to us, right? I'm like, yeah. That's part of their life that they're never going to get back. They're donating a part of their life because time is the ultimate non-renewable resource. They're giving us their lifeblood for X amount of time, whether it's one hour or a thousand. That's still time they will never get back. Even with a time machine, you can't get it back. You're still aging. It is what it is, right? So the least we can do is treat these people with decency, kindness, and respect. Show them that they're humans, that they're adults. They can make their own decisions, set their own timetable, set their own work plan and they're always going to do better than you think because they not just they want to impress you cuz that's really not the biggest part they're like look I'm in a place that respects what I'm doing so let me go and kick ass and take names and show what I can really do mm-hmm. if, you, if you just give people the tools they need to do what they want to do it's amazing how much they'll do cuz I, if i knew what i wanted why am i hiring you in the first place i know where i want to go i don't know how to get there that's your job mm-hmm. help me with that and empower them and then most importantly Step away from them. Mm-hmm. Don't watch them every day. I can't stand people who are like, oh, I need to check my interns every day. Why? Are you that concerned they're not doing it? What if they're not doing it? You'll find out in the end.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. You'll know here soon enough.
0: You'll know real soon. Now, if they want you to check in on them, that's a different story. Hey, listen, I need someone to check in on me because sometimes they get kind of cool. I'll do that. But that's going to be my default. I'm going to let you be an adult. You tell me what you need. And we'll go from there. Um, and it's amazing how many people Really flourish in that because they're like, what you mean? I can, I
1: can be an adult.
0: Yes, because you are.
1: Right. Fantastic stuff, Greg. I, I really, I can't believe it's been an hour. Um, Seriously, I've really, really enjoyed speaking with you, and and would love to continue our conversation another uh, on another episode. Perhaps we can, we can drill down some more and and really, really dig in because I think that what you what you talked about early on about you know, nonprofits are businesses. And would you invest in a business that didn't have a business plan? Um, so why don't, why don't we invest in nonprofits that are, are doing some research, I think is a really important takeaway. And, and I, I'm just excited to see where, where you guys continue to take this and and how, how much influence you can have over, over this great community of, of nonprofits that we're both kind of engaged with.
0: Well, I hope so too. And I, and again, I really appreciate you having me on board and I'm down to do another episode. I love talking obviously.
1: <laughs> no, it's great. So how can people find out more about, about, uh, peace building solutions?
0: A great thing. All you got to do is type it into Google Peacebuilding solutions. Peacebuilding is one word, or you can go to our website, which is www.peacebuildingsolutions.org. Um, we're updating as much as possible. We're also on Facebook and LinkedIn. So you can look there as well. And of course, please go watch my Ted talk. It's on YouTube. Just type in my name. You can pull it up. But, um, uh, we do take PayPal and we will take small donations. I don't, you know, I'm fine with that too. So by all means. Um, but if you want to reach out to us, we do have a contact link as well. So if you want to pick my brain or uh, someone of my staff's brain, you can do that too.
1: Oh, that'd be great. I, I, uh, I just love having these conversations. And, um, one of the things I try and do on every show is, is not just talk, but but try and inspire some action and that action can be kind of anything that, that you think it'd be great to have people do. Um, but if, if people were listening to the show today and could take away, you know, one thing to do after listening to, to our conversation, what, what would you have them do? Donate
0: cash to the charities that you care about. That's really one of the most important things. Um, there's too many charities and there's too many people who go out there and they're like, oh, I'm going to hand out my my old T-shirts or my shoes or whatever. I promise you, every single charity in the world will tell you the same thing. I don't, w- don't want or need your shoes. I want that stuff. Give me cash. Also, find the charity that you trust and then keep giving to them because it is a trust game. Learn, Find out the ones that you want to trust and then go from there do your research and invest your money wisely. And I promise you, it'll 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 make you much happier than just randomly throwing
1: stuff away. I love it. Well, I would encourage everyone to do that. I will post your TED Talk to our show notes as well. Sure. And again, thank you so much for being on the show today. I had a really great time as always chatting with you and I'm looking forward to hearing what's next.
0: Yeah, me too, Stu. Thank you so much for having me on.
1: Sure, talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. All right, there you have it. Another great episode of Relish This. Thanks for listening. If you would like to learn more about how to apply the audience engagement cycle to expand your organization's mission, there are two things you can do. Right now, you can go to missionuncomfortablebook.com to download a copy of my book. And while you're there, you can get your purpose-driven marketing score to see where you can unearth some gold for your organization. If you'd like to listen to back episodes of the show or sign up to be a guest, go to relishstudio.com slash podcast. That's it for this week. I'll be back next week for another great episode of Relish This.